Our first Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this day, Lord, and the opportunity to be in your house and to worship you. Lord, I just ask, Lord, you'd anoint this body this morning, Lord, to receive the message and anoint the messenger to deliver the words you've given unto me. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. I have been doing kind of a, a series, if you will, on crisis. And uh, two weeks ago, I preached a message on crisis, and then Memorial Day, of course, there at that. But we're going to be on crisis probably for this week. I know this week, unless God has a whatever different idea. <laughs> but um, and maybe one more, I don't know, we'll see. Because crisis is something that we have a hard time dealing with. You know, the, some of the things we deal with, it isn't a big deal. Oh, well, it's not a big deal. But when we face a crisis that is life-changing, it really can affect us if we uh, let it to. And uh, last uh, time I talked about a, a crisis David was facing, and of course his, fa- his crisis that he faced was because of his own doing. And a lot of times we create our own crisis. And I hate to admit it, but we do. And then we get in the crisis, then we look for somebody to blame when we just need to look in the mirror sometimes. And ask God, did I create this crisis or this is just a trial I have to go through? And allow God to work that out in our hearts. So uh, this morning we're going to uh, find out what to do in a crisis. Last week it was kind of like how to survive a crisis. It's one thing to survive it, but how do you survive it? And what do you do when you're in the crisis? It's easy to talk about a crisis and things that you're going to do if you're not in one. But when you're in a crisis, it's hard to know what to do. We run, we do all kinds of things that we try to do. But God has a way for us to deal with crisis if we allow him to... um, flow through us and, and speak to our hearts. A, cr- a construction worker worked nights on a high-rise building. He was busy on the edge of one of the walls, many stories high, when he suddenly lost his balance and fell. As he fell over the edge, he managed to grab the edge of the wall with his fingertips. He hung on desperately, hoping someone would find him. He was in total darkness, barely hanging onto the wall and crying for help but no one could hear him due to the noise of the machinery. Soon his fingers grew weak. He tried very hard to force them to hold on, but slowly his grip began to slip. He tried praying, but no miracle occurred. At last his fingers slipped from the wall, and with a cry of horror he fell. He fell exactly three inches to a scaffold that had been there all the time, but he had not seen it because of darkness. And that's kind of... The situation that uh, happens to us. We face crises in our life and we feel all alone and we wonder how in the world we're going to survive and we do everything that we can and we're hanging on like grim death to things until we finally, in our weakness and that, we finally just let go because we've run out of things that we can do. And when we let go, that's when we find out that we weren't in any real danger. But see, the problem is we just do all kinds of things trying to help ourselves when we're in those situations. And it's only when we let go that we actually let God's strength lift us up. And we realize that we're really not in any danger. 
I know that some of the situations we've had in the past, if we look at them and remember the way that we felt when we were going through them, we were probably wondering, man, how am I ever going to get through this situation? And you remember, the, you know, your fears and all the things that went through your mind during that time. And then you look back on it after you survived it and you think, man, what, why was I so panicky over the situation? And that's what life is, isn't it? We go from crisis to crisis, it seems like. We get out of one crisis, and then we have a, hopefully we have one period where there's not a problem in between. But sometimes we go from one crisis, get through that, and then we got another crisis to deal with. And um, it's hard. When we deal with a crisis, we're not in literal darkness, but we're in the darkness of unbelief. And that's the worst kind of darkness. Because if we can't trust God to get us through a situation, we have no hope. And God is the one that's going to give us the strength to get through those times. And when we're in darkness, that's when we need God more. But that's when we actually try everything else and use God as a last resort. I know I do that. I don't know why I do it, but I do. And I say, oh, next time I'm not going to do that. Then the next time comes around and we start this circular thing again. Now today I want to look up Jacob, who was in a crisis. He was returning home. Remember uh, his mother, I mean, he got his, had his mother told him to go to her family to get a bride. And so he went there and he was gone for like 20 years. That's a long time. 21 years, I guess it was. And he found a wife and we know that he was deceived and he ended up with Leah when he wanted Rachel so he had to work another seven years for Rachel honey would you work for me for seven years <laughs> I would work for you seven years 30 years 100 years if I could live that long I would <laughs> but things were different back then than they are now and um, today people can't even wait till they're married you know, we have so much living together anymore, and it's just no big deal. You know, you look at, I look at my grandkids and some of them the way that they live, and it's not a big deal to the world. Yeah. Our granddaughter is pregnant and uh, with a guy that she met online, and uh, he's a little older than her, and uh, our Son called us last night and told us she's pregnant. I said, did she get married? He said, no. I said, well, why not? He says, Mom, this was 2019. I'm going, okay. What's that got to do with anything? You know, we write off things as a sign of the times, and it's no big deal. So what? And we have all this stuff on TV that's in our face all the time. You gotta have a designated gay person, you gotta have a designated minority, you gotta have a designated woman, and you gotta have, you know, so many people of this in order to have a show. You start watching the show, and you think, man, this is a really good show. And we'll say, man, there's no gays in this show. What happened? And then oh, they bring in a character that's gay. You know, I love gay people. I do. I just don't like their lifestyle. And neither does God. I told people, if you can get God, convince God about it, I'm okay with it. But God doesn't change his mind. But I love the people. And if we start separating people from their sin, it's easier to love them. 
You know, sometimes we aren't the most lovable people in the world either. You know, I look at, you know, people have seen all my whole life and all my failures and all my sins, and that I wouldn't like that. But, it, I, you know, we want people to separate us from the things that we do. So we need to learn how to do that. And uh, so Esau was heading home, snuck home, actually, in the dark, because he was afraid of what the, his father-in-law would do. And, of course, we all know that he chased him down and caught him, and God changed his heart. But uh, he was running away. He was taking matters in his own hands. God told him to go home. But he didn't believe and trust God, so he's sneaking off in the middle of the night. And sometimes we do the same things. We know God wants us somewhere, but we're not going to say anything about it. We're just kind of sneak around until we get there. And then if it's successful, then we'll tell people about it. But that isn't the way God works. See, God wants us to step out in faith and trust him, and then he'll do everything else. Even though we feel like there's total darkness and don't know what's going on or where we're going or what we're going to do, we trust God. And I know that's sometimes easier said than done. Uh, Genesis 32, 1 and 2. It's a little hard to see on that background. Look good at home. Sometimes, I'll see where we at. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanahim. Mahanahim. Whatever, anyway. And it means that uh, it's called the place of God. He named it the place of God, camp of God. Now, that's cool. I mean, how many of you would like a, a multitude of angels preceding you? Would you like to see them when you're on your way? How many would like that? Yeah. I would love that. You know, that'd be great. I got all this protection around me. I don't need to worry about it. And he loved it, called it the camp of God. And, uh, <clears throat> but as Jacob's crisis grows closer, God encourages him and reassures him that he's not alone. And he did this by revealing the angels so he could see them. We have angels all around us today. We can't see them, but they're there. We, so we like to call up our guardian angel. Now, I don't know whether we do or we have guardian angels or not. I know that God directs our lives and protects us in a lot of situations. And if we have a guardian, guardian angel, mine is in really bad shape. You know, probably wings are probably broke <laughs> and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, if this is protecting me, I don't want to not be protected. <laughs> but I know we kind of laugh at that situation, but God's in control. So Jacob didn't need to be afraid because he had this whole multitude with him. Matthew 28, 20b. It says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now in a crisis, we have God with us. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and that's better than all the angels of heaven combined. Amen. Wouldn't you rather have God living inside you through the Holy Spirit than just looking at angels? I know angels are very powerful, but who created the angels? God did. And we've got all that power living within us, and yet we walk around weak with our heads down and everything like we're beaten 
like we lost our best friend. Then we, and we went home and our dog died. And the house burnt down, you know. <laughs> so, but we realize that God lives within us. So we don't have to worry about things. The, the, Jacob lived in the Old Testament times. And God dealt with them in different ways. Because, see, God needed his will done. And he will do whatever it takes to have his will done. In our lives, in somebody else's lives. And sometimes God allows crises in our lives to get us back to where we need to be. Seems like the only time we cry out to God is when we need something. Or when we're in a crisis. And we've done everything else and say, throw our hands up and say, well, God, I've done everything else. Would you please help me? I don't know what to do. And that should have been the first thing we did. But we don't. Because just like Jacob, he liked to rely on himself. We want to say, I did it my way. We want to say, I did it. All by myself I've done this. And we have a whole world of people out there that that's their theology. I did it my way. <clears throat> that's a very powerful song when it came out, and everybody loved it. Because we like to think that we did it all by ourselves. In reality, we don't. If we could see all the interactions that's going on in our lives at this moment and every other moment of our lives, we would be really surprised. Because God protects us, he guards us, he sends his angels about us, and all kinds of things, even if we don't feel it or seem like they're there. But sometimes all we got to do is take a deep breath and feel God inside you. And that will give you strength. And we need to do it before we've run out of options. Uh, Genesis 32, 3 to 6. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with, Lab with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we, met you. we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Wow. That seems like his crisis just got worse. When we keep our eyes on God and sometimes in our situations, we try to do things on our own and things get worse, not better. Jacob does everything in his power to resolve the issue. He knows he cheated his brother out of his birthright. And he's trying to soothe that over with material things. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when someone wrongs you, you want to, I'm sorry, don't we? You know, but... It's hard. Those are the hardest two words to say in the English language. I'm sorry. Because we have to admit that we did something wrong. And we don't like that. We think we're right all the time. And we hate it when we have to admit that we're not. And I'm just like you. I hate admitting I'm wrong and saying I'm sorry. Those are the hardest words to say. We'd rather say a thousand words without having to say that. We'd rather do something for somebody than say, I'm sorry, and hope that they'll just get over it. But people don't sometimes get over stuff till they hear those words. Now, as believers, we're supposed to get over them. It doesn't matter. 
We're obligated to forgive others whether they say I'm sorry or not. I'm still waiting for some, for some I'm sorry's. And they may never come. But I can't let that interfere with my life and my relationship with God. I have to go on. I have to live my life the way God wants me to. And when Satan runs that by me in front of my mind and says, oh, remember that what they did to you? I say, oh, no, I forgave him. That's over here. To take away his power. Because we have the power. We can live in victory or we can live in defeat. We can be victorious and be the loneliest and most miserable person in the world. But when we're, and when we're, I'd rather be, lose battles and have God in my life than win the battles and not. God wants us to win the battles in his strength. So he sends messengers to Esau with plenty of material goods so he wouldn't get mad about him cheating him out of his inheritance and saying, hey, you know, I've got all this stuff. I don't need to go there and claim my inheritance of the firstborn. Because remember, the firstborn got a double portion of the inheritance. And that's why it was such a vital thing. And that's what the fight in the Middle East is over. It's between Esau and Jacob. They were okay with Abraham and Isaac, but then they go to Esau, not Jacob. See, we go to the Jacob side because that's where the promise was from. It's from through Jacob, but not Esau. But all the, the Muslims and all that, they believe in that Esau was the chosen one. They believe it was Esau was the one that Abraham tried to offer, not Isaac. <coughs> Excuse me, Isaac and, yeah, Esau. Got mixed up there for a minute. That's all right. We all make mistakes, right? I'm sorry. But he's sitting there and he's trying to, trying to bribe his brother to try to soothe it over. And he sends his servants. How would you like to be the servants that have to go tell somebody that? You know, maybe you know the history of their relationship and maybe you don't. They probably did because things were very hard to hide back then. But they had to go. Now, Esau could have just as very easily have killed them. So the servants, they're going and, you know, Maybe they thought they were going at a certain death. It didn't matter. They were servants. They did what they were told. And see, that was a good thing. That's where we need to find our reality. See, we're servants of God. And we didn't do what we were told, whether we like it or not. So he goes and tells him, and Esau starts to meet Jacob with 400 men. And man, Jacob's about having a hemorrhage. What am I going to do? Because, you know... Who, who brings 400 men to greet somebody? You know, I think he was planning to get him. I really do. And if it wasn't for God intervening, there would be no Jacob. Because he would have annihilated him from the face of the earth. So we need to, we need to understand that. <clears throat> so... He refers to Esau as Lord and Master and himself as Esau's servant. He's trying to compliment, he's trying to do everything he can in his own power to make this right. Rather than trusting God, he's trying to resolve the crisis situation with flattery. Now, we all like to be flattered, don't we? We like that. We just, self just loves that. Oh, boy, they think I'm neat. All right, I love that. 
give me more, give me more, give me more. We love that. All of us do, whether we admit it or not. We all like that. But see, Esau does reconcile with Jacob in chapter 33. But at this time, Jacob was in fear of his life. Now, I think there's very few situations that we enter into where we're in fear of our lives. I haven't faced any. Have you? Do I need to worry about being killed by somebody? Well, we may have to face that situation. If someone wants to break into my house, they may do it, but they'll go out feet first with people carrying them. Oh, that's not very Christian. Well, ain't very Christian and I'm trying to break into my house. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but we face crisis and things don't usually get better immediately. They tend to get worse. We pray to God and we ask for help and in the circumstances and things get worse. And we think, man, why in the world am I praying? Man, what am I doing? It seems like every time I ask God for help, things get worse. I hate that. And it makes us wonder, man, why am I praying? I don't like things getting worse, but it seems like that's what happens. I say that a lot when we're witnessing to our family members or someone, friend or whatever it is. And um, when we're witnessing to them and they you know, start to be receptive of all that, then things in their life start to get worse. And we're going, hey, God, what's going on? You told me to witness to them, and now that's worse than it was. They don't even want to be around me anymore because of the conviction of God. So don't worry about that. Sometimes it has to get worse before it can get better. So we need to trust God through it. We need, when the crisis gets worse, the problem is we focus on the problem and not on God. And now Satan just loves that when we start focusing on the, on the problem because we're not focusing on God. And so he wants to do everything he can to keep us focused on our problems. See, Jacob forgot all about the angels that were with him when he seen, heard about that army coming to meet him. Now, he wasn't in any, any great danger because the, our angels was all about him. And we do the same thing. We think about the problem instead of trusting God. Genesis 32, 7 and 8. <coughs> in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is all is left may escape. He didn't trust God at all. He's separating his family. He's separating Rachel and Leah and their whatever apart and their what's going on in their lives in two, two groups, thinking, well, if they kill one group, then at least they'll have another group that'll survive. He didn't believe God at all. All of a sudden, he forgot about the angels. He forgot about what God told him. He's terrified. But he's okay with losing half of his family and half of what he has. But that's what he's doing. <clears throat> he's trusting in his own things that he can do instead of trusting God. And we do the same thing. Genesis 32, 9 to 12. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country. And it was Ishmael and Isaac, not Esau. 
We got it. Okay. Sometimes you get up here and your mind's running to what, 30,000 miles a minute and you don't know which direction you're going. So if you think it's confusing, you ought to be up here for a while. Uh, so God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I only have my staff, only had my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob acknowledges the promises of God that he had already fulfilled. Now Jacob tells God the problems that he's facing. And that's the way we need to handle our problems. See, he's looking at the problem of what he can do, and he's telling God all about the problems. See, that's what we need to do. We need to tell God all about the problems instead of telling your friends and your neighbors of all the problems that you're having. It's a better testimony to tell people what God has done for you than it is to tell them your oh me's. I don't want to have a church of old me's. I want to have a church of praise the Lord. Amen. And when you say praise the Lord, it makes you feel better than old me's. Because just focusing on ourselves never makes us feel good. <clears throat> and we are to pray we're in trouble. And we pray God's promises. It isn't to remind God what he said. It's to remind us of the things that God's already done. And when we remind ourselves about what God has already done, it strengthens our faith. That song that says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. But we don't. We focus on the problems and forget about the blessings. We need to consciously focus on the promises of God and thank him for what he's done to strengthen our faith. Uh, Genesis 32, 13 to 21. Oh, 13 to 17. Next slide is 21. He spent the night there, and from that, what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 female camels with their young. 40, 40 cows and 10 bulls. And 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, When my brother Esau meets you, asks what you do, what, who do you belong to, and where are you going, and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to the, my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. Next slide. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. We need to trust God in crisis and provide to provide what he promised he would provide, and not our plans and resources. Now, Jacob usually trusted in his own abilities. <clears throat> if you read Genesis, you find out all the things that he did and all the deceptive things that he did 
in order to gain all these things that he had. But you have to think about how big this group was. You know, if, if his gift was just a portion of what he had. And man, that's a lot of stock. How'd you like to take care of that stock, Susie? <laughs> man, you'd need, you know, have to have a lot of servants just to corral them in order to keep them going in a certain direction. And if that's just the gift, man, it had to be a huge crowd. And, you know, we have to kind of think about things sometimes. We kind of just read over things, and we don't really think about them. And uh, <clears throat> so he sends his gifts on, on ahead, hoping that Esau won't be mad anymore because he's giving him, a, he's giving him gifts. He keeps giving him gifts and keeps giving him gifts. How many people have ever bought a friendship? You can't buy friendship. You can't buy love. You know, things that we have don't make us happy. If we're not happy, things aren't going to help. It doesn't matter. Look at all the movie stars that are all these big famous people and all these other people that have, have billionaires or millionaires and all that. A lot of them commit suicide or they're on drugs and doing all kinds of things because all that fame and fortune and money and possessions don't make you happy. You have to be happy first. And happiness isn't dependent upon someone else. It's dependent on us. Paul said, I've learned to be content in anything that's going on in my life. If I'm very prosperous or hardly have anything, I'm content. Now, I don't think I have a hard time saying that, you know. If I, you know, we became homeless and living on the street, it'd be kind of hard to say, God, I'm content with all this. I'm happy. When we had this nice home and we had all this stuff and all of a sudden we had nothing, I don't know we'd be content. But that's what Paul said. And when you're content and happy, then you can trust God easier. But when your faith is in possessions and they're gone, our faith's gone. Because our trust and faith is in what we have, not in the things that we <clears throat> wanted us to do. So he sends this on ahead, hoping that it would um, ease Esau's anger of him stealing his birthright. So he had already tried flattery, and now he's trying bribery. Genesis 32, 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabok. After he had sent them all across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Next slide. Oh, okay. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. 
The sun rose above him, and he passed the nail and was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of the hip was touched near the tendon. Now, after this time, he relied on his own resources and things that he could do in his own strength to obtain what he needed. In the crisis with Esau, he relied on flattery and bribery, and this point of this wrestling match was to teach Jacob and us a lesson about self-reliance. God is teaching his people to recognize he isn't alone, and only he is the source of all blessing. Now, Jacob wrestled with the man, and it makes it sound like he was going to beat up this man. But in reality, it was just him. Actually, what this was, was this is, how many know that Jesus was Jesus before he was born in a manger? How many knew that? And we have a lot of things in the Old Testament where someone seen God. And we know that no one can see God and live. And yet here we have God wrestling with Jacob, and he lives. What's the explanation? Well, the only explanation that we have, and we call it a theophany, and there are several in the Old Testament. And this is Jesus before he was born in a manger. Because Jesus was always a part of the Trinity before he was born in a manger. There was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before the earth was created. Jesus created everything, it says. So how can that be if he didn't become Jesus until he's born in a manger? It's because he was always Jesus. And this is hard for us to understand because of our, of our minds and things like that that we think that he might have impossible. How can he how can he struggle with God and God asking him to let him go because the daylight's coming? Makes it sound like he's a ghost or something. <laughs> but the reality he was struggling, he was wrestling with Jacob, trying to get him to admit that he can't win the battles, everything. He can't do it in his own strength. And the moment he touched his hip, the battle was over. He wrestled to, to break down Jacob's strength. So he realized that he can't do anything without God. Now, he went the rest of his life with a bum hip just because he couldn't trust God. Now, I've known what it's like to have a bum hip. And every time you step or do anything, it hurts. Huh, Susie? I meant Pam. And anyone else has had hip replaced? Marie. You know what it's like, man, you try and walk and it just hurts like crazy. But he spent the rest of his life, every time he took a step, he was reminded, can't do this in my own strength. I've got to trust God. I've got to trust God. <clears throat> now, he didn't recognize at first that this was God that he was doing it with. And sometimes... In our circumstances, we don't recognize God in the situation. We give, oh, well, things happen. Miracles happen, and we think, oh, well, it's just something that happened. We try to find a legitimate explanation for them because we don't want to accept the fact that it was a miracle from God because we don't want to explain that. Because miracles are hard to explain, and sometimes they're embarrassing to us. You know, we go home and say, man, I was really sick. You know, and I had somebody come and pray for me, and I got well. That's a miracle. 
whether we want to acknowledge it or not, it's a miracle that we're not sick all the time. That's the miracle, because with everything that's out there, and especially now with all these illegals coming into the country, we're having a, an, what do you call it, a, <clears throat> inundated with diseases that we had eradicated a long time ago, because all these people coming in haven't been immunized against it. Smallpox, well, mumps, huh? Yeah. And now they're talking about bubonic plague. Man, that's a scary situation. I mean, I want to, you know, I feel sorry for people, but we can't help the world. We're obligated to take care of our family first. Then our neighbors. Then reach out to our city, our state, the United Country, our country, our nation, and then the other most parts of the world. I mean, that's what God said the way is to, to evangelize the world. And that's the same way that we need to allow people to come in. But we aren't taking care of our own people. Now, that makes me mad. Got, you know, young kids sleeping on the streets in filth, having to go to the bathroom on the street because they have no place to go. And then illegal comes in and they get housing, they get money, they get food. And we have old people that have to choose between paying their rent, their medicine, and food. We have to choose between things. What are they going to do this month? Because they can't survive. And yet we're just throwing out all our money to people that don't even belong here. And so if anybody wants to know about that, go to the Great Commission and use that. Tell them this is what God said. And evangelizing the world had be saved is more important than feeding them food. So, <clears throat> so God decides that enough is enough with Jacob. He's had enough of him dealing with all that he's dealing with, and he touched his hip. And they still, I don't think they today, they don't, still don't eat that tendon. I don't know whether you, why you would eat a tendon by itself anyway, but I guess a tendon that runs through the meat, I don't know. But anyway, because of it, his self-confidence had to be broken before God can bless him. Sometimes God has to break our self-confidence before he can bless us. We're so dependent on ourselves and what we can do that he can't work in our life. He's got to break us down. Just like we mold our kids. When your kids are little, they do something wrong, we mold them, don't we? Molded them with a belt, I know you can't do that kind of stuff now. I was talking to Trevi for Fort Church and, you know, at the thrift store up there that people come in with their kids and they're so rowdy, yelling and screaming and just very disruptive and the mother's walking around there like nothing's going on. And everybody says, well, that's just the generation we're in. That's the explanation for everything. It's our generation. Well, I don't want it to be our generation. If that had been my kid, I'd have smacked him in the mouth if they were older. Or I was not above piling their little butts in public. Or their big butts. If they got too big piled, then I'd just smack them in the face. If my oldest, oldest son ever comes down here, you can ask him about that. He started smarting off to me and told me he wasn't going to smart off to me. What are you going to do about it? Pow. Punched him in the 
and the mouth head went back, it hit the wall. And he said, that, and he says, that didn't hurt. I said, do you want another one? No. <laughs> I'd have a hard time probably doing that now. He said, oh, that's terrible. What am I supposed to do? Pick up a, a full-grown, almost man and put him on my lap and spank his butt? No. When they get too big to paddle, you do what you do to control them. <clears throat> and I did, right or wrong or whatever, but they seem to have turned out mostly okay. None of them were in prison. They all work <laughs> or make a living or try to. And so, hey, that's okay. That's all we can do the best we can. And I grew up in a different world. <coughs> I grew up in the world where <coughs> you respected your elders. And if you didn't, the neighbors would paddle your butt. How many have ever been paddled by your neighbors growing up? I mean, all bets were off. We'd grow up. If you were disrespective to an elder, they would paddle your butt. If you were disruptive in school, you didn't go home and tell your parents about it because you'd get another whopping. How many got spanked in school? I did. I got spanked a lot. I had a teacher grab me by the hair of the head and banged my head into the wall, trying to get me to shut up. That's what the problem is. See, I got, I got brain damage between all the concussions and, and that, I got brain damage. <laughs> Put me in a row all by myself, trying not to get me to talk to anybody. But I get bored real easy when I was a kid. The stuff just didn't challenge me enough. Nowadays, they test you, maybe advance you to different classes. But back then, they didn't do that. When I grew up, we had the third and fourth graders in the same class. And they just did different work. You did third grade math, they did fourth grade math. They did third grade history, they did fourth grade history. And that's the way we were raised. <clears throat> so, and it, I meant it was a good upbringing. Basically, I wish we'd go back to those days. Nowadays, we let the kids rule the, ho rule the house, treat them like they're little gods. And I look at the world and the kids running around and I think, man, this world's in trouble. Because parents, they just, you know, everybody's running around like this with their cell phones. Don't look up. And you look at people when they go out to dinner. Have you ever looked at a group of people that are going out to dinner? They're all sitting around the table instead of talking to each other. They're on their phones. There's no family time. There's no interactions with people. We forgot how to communicate. As they had a doctor on Fox News Channel this, this I don't remember what day, this last week anyway, and he was talking how about how detrimental all these smartphones are to our kids and to people in general because we do all our type, typing and texting or whatever and we don't know how to communicate face to face. So when we look at people, we have nothing to talk about. We used to just send a little text or whatever. And he said it's detrimental to our kids in the way that they should be raised. He said my kids wouldn't get a cell phone when they were young. They wouldn't get one probably until high school. And that's uh, Gates, the guy that invented Microsoft, the billionaire. His kids didn't get cell phones and all that stuff. He says, because they're too addictive. People are addicted to all this technology. <clears throat> now, God blesses Jacob by changing his name to Israel. He asked Jacob, what is your name? Now, when God asks a question, it isn't because he knows, doesn't know the answer. He asks it so we can 
have a realization of something. And Jacob had to admit that, my name, what's your name? His name was Deceiver. I think this is where uh, the Jewish people got a bad rap was because of Jacob. He was a deceiver. They think, oh, Jews will steal you blind. How many have heard all that from people? They're anti-Semitic because they hate Jews. Because man, they used to say they steal your money, they steal this, they steal all the business and everything else like that, trying to get people to hate them. And I think it's because Jacob's name was meant deceiver. How would you like somebody come to your house or come greet you and say, hi, deceiver, how you doing? You know, that would be bad. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like, I don't know what my name would be with the personality I have. I have no, loudmouth, <laughs> troublemaker, I don't know. But he had to deal with that his whole life, knowing that, hey, deceiver, come over here, deceiver. Deceiver, do you take this woman to be your husband, your wife, I mean? That'd be hard. And he went through life like that, so God had to change his name after he broke him down to what he needed to be. Then he changed his name. He didn't change it until he came home and was obedient to him. And he had to face the reality of life. <clears throat> uh, Genesis 32, 28. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, this doesn't mean overcome because he was stronger, like I talked about before. There's no one that's ever going to beat God in a wrestling match. Never. Because you just got to go, beep, there goes your hip, beep, there goes your back. But he ha we have to struggle sometime in order to um, get the outcome that God wants. Uh, Revelation 2, 17, A. To those who win the victory, I will give some of the hidden man, and I will also give them a white stone on which is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. As believers, we all get new names. Amen. And only God knows it right now. Man, I don't know what my new name is, but I know it's going to be great. I don't know what your name is, but I know it's going to be great. When we're kids, our parents named us. But I'd rather have God name me, wouldn't you? Amen. Man, I look forward to knowing that a name is. And that white stone that he's talking about, when they used to have, have kind of like court hearings or whatever, and they had the people that was judging them, they had a black stone and a white stone. The black stone meant they were guilty, the white stone meant they were innocent. And they passed around the bag, just like that offering bag that we pass around. <clears throat> and they would put the correct stone the way that they felt about it into the bag. And then they counted it. And if all of them was white, you were free. And so God has paid the price for our sin. So it looks like he gives us a white stone. Not the guilty plea, but the innocent plea. Because when God looks at us and we're covered under the blood of Christ, he sees Jesus when he sees us. And how can anybody look at their child and see Jesus and, do, and not love him? God loves everyone because we are his children, but because of what Christ has done for us. <clears throat> so his new name meant he prevailed. He wasn't a deceiver anymore. 
He was the one who prevailed. And that's what we're going to get. We're going to prevail one day. All we got to do is keep pressing on. And like I said before, in Genesis 33, we see God changed Esau's heart. He didn't need Jacob for that. God did it. <clears throat> and they were reconciled. But God had protected J Jacob. But Jacob still hadn't fully changed. He still was a deceiver. And those things still come up in his life, just like they do in us. No matter what our life is, once we get our life to Christ, or still, we still sin. Doesn't matter, because we have a sin nature in us. Until God changes us, we're going to sin, whether we like it or not. And we just got to come to God when we do. So God was working on Jacob just as he's working on us. But it's a lifelong project until he comes and takes us home. Or until we die and, and then he changes us completely. <clears throat> I look forward to that day of the change when I don't have to worry about doing stuff. In a time of crisis, we have to remember we don't face any crisis alone. We have divine help. In a crisis, we have to keep our eyes on God because things may get worse before they get better. In a crisis, when things get worse, we can't give in or fear, but continue to have faith in God. In time of crisis, we have to pray the promises of God. In time of crisis, we have to rely on God and not ourselves. God breaks our self-reliance one way or the other. And the one thing that Jacob didn't do in all this situation was talk about returning back, to turn back, to turn back. It wasn't even a thought in his mind about turning back to where he came from, where it was safer. Sometimes we go through so much stuff and we think, man, I didn't have these problems before I got saved. Yeah, that's right, because you just go in the same direction as the world. But once we became a believer, we're going the opposite direction. And it's like swimming upstream. It's battle every single day. We have to struggle and struggle and struggle. And we, and we grow in the struggles. That's how we grow. Amen? Let's pray. President Father, Lord, I thank you for your love and your mercy and grace. Lord, I'm thankful for everyone that is here. I know that in time of crisis, Lord, we sometimes don't respond in the way that we should. But I ask, Lord, that you just help us to make better decisions with our lives, Lord, and make decisions, Lord, that, we, that you would honor. Help us to go to you first instead of last before we are so weak we can't do anything else, Lord. Help us, Lord, in our time of need. Lord, and if someone here doesn't know you, I ask, Lord, that you'd help them make a decision for you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We said, Amen. Like I said, every week, I know that most of us are believers, but I'm obligated by God to ask the question because I never want to stand before God and he'll say, how come he didn't have an altar call that day? How come he didn't give somebody an opportunity? And I don't want to have that on my conscience where I stand before God. So it may be a rep rep repetitious thing, but you never know because I don't know anybody's heart and neither do you. So anyway, anyone here don't know the Lord? I know most of us are, but praise the Lord. Okay, it's time.